Thank you, thank you, thank you once again for joining us on the Ball on Blast podcast. We're at episode five. We made it to episode five. My name is Sean Alexander. Here once again with my main man. Sound like a modern shot there. My main <laughs> man, Andrew Webster. Webby, what's I, up? I, I am the Summer Sanders to your Ahmad Rashad. <laughs> Summer never looked so good, my dude. Oh, man. How you doing? Man, I'm riding on cloud nine, man, after the uh, the unbelievable two games in L.A. that the Philadelphia 76ers played. Oh, I, I think we will get to that shortly, for sure. Yeah, I don't want to rush, you know? Lots coming up on this episode. We'll talk a little bit of L.A. basketball, little Lonzo ball, some Clippers ball. Obviously, we'll have our wrap it up segment. We'll discuss LeBron taking over New York. And can, can you take over something that you've owned for so long? Well, well, we'll find out. We'll get to that. That's that's called a tease in the industry. Oh, in the business. But there's only one place we can start. The man, the myth, the legend that is, Joel Embiid, just staked oh. his claim on the NBA against the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, we're going to do something different here, Webby, because I feel like I know you pretty well. Yeah. I feel like we have a good relationship. and I feel we, like We've known each other for, for a little while. Right. And, you know, I think you might be excited. So we're going to oh. start this episode with a little turn up, turn down. This segment is pretty simple. Turn up equals good. Turn down equals bad. We will give e- I will give you a topic and you will tell yeah. me turn up or turn down. We start off with Joel Embiid is the best big man in the game. Turn up or turn down, Webby. There's so many great choices, especially this season. It seems like there are so many great big men, the unicorns, as we like to call them, that are starting to hatch from their cocoons <laughs> and go from potential superstars to making the leap to actual superstars. You look at what Andre Drummond has done ooh, with the free throw shooting at the line. You look at the steps that Chris Stapp's Porzingis has made as he continues to become king of New York. But ooh, after a West Coast trip, much like Don Draper taking Sterling Cooper out West. That's a solid reference right there. There's not been a trip to L.A. quite like Joel Embiid's in the last 48 hours. Oh, you, start in, you start with the Clippers and the Willie Reed, you mad bro game, which was absolutely stunning. I've never seen... A player get under another one's skin so badly with a smile on his face like Joel Embiid had. It was amazing. And the only to be uh, to uh, to upstage himself against Lonzo Ball. I mean, we're going to get into our uh, Feed Me segment. Uh, you could have done a whole Feed Me segment on the lead up to Sixers-Lakers last night with the uh, trash talking of Lonzo Ball and the whole Ball family by... Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And for the Sixers and Embiid to come into Staples Center against Ball and the Lakers and absolutely throttle them and Embiid putting up a stat line unlike which has never been seen before in the NBA was amazing. It was amazing. It was so, so good. And you know what normally happens with these NBA West Coast games? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting up there. I'm an old man, you know, and sometimes it, it's a little tough to stay up for these West Coast games. 
I had no problem at all staying up to watch what Joel Embiid was in, was doing last night. It was just so crazy. And you mentioned his stat line. We saw it was something that has never been done before since they were recording blocks as an official stat line. 46 points, 15 rebounds, 7 blocks, 7 assists. Wait, why is Joel Embiid your center? Passing the ball. Why is he passing the ball? And the, the other thing that's so crazy about it too, Webby, is not he had 46 points on 20 field goal attempts. Like it it's the efficiency was there, the the passing was obviously there. He's playing defense. He was dream shake. The dream shake was so crazy. He brought out a Euro step. Like it was oh. so amazing. The full repertoire from the US to the USSR, right? Like it was just <laughs> it was so crazy to see. And mm-hmm. You didn't answer the question though. I'm gonna I'm gonna oh, force yeah. you to answer this question though, Webby. Is Embiid the best big man in the game right now? Uh, it's it's so easy for me to turn up on this and say yes because I am such a uh, a home uh, home lover. I'm a process truster. You know, represent the two one five all the way live. But you know what? I gotta turn down. Whoa. Okay. I, I got to turn down and you're going to kill me because listen, Joel Embiid can be the best big man and might be the best big man in the NBA. Okay. But my problem is, is that right now he's not even playing up to his full potential after the unbelievable stat line against the Lakers on Wednesday night. Mm -hmm. Jojo said that he's only 69% healthy. Now that's nice. Nice. (laughs) That's nice, but it's not a hundred percent. So you, the no. best big man in the NBA right now, the, the big man who is playing at the highest level of competition, it, it's still Chris Dapps. Whoa. I, you know what, Webby? I'm going to say this. I appreciate you just not taking the obvious bias here and just saying yes because you're a huge Sixers fan and obviously you want Embiid to be good. So, hey, I appreciate that. So maybe I'll take your role here because I firmly believe that if you're asking me right now, I'm turning up on this. Joel Embiid is the best big man in the game. As long as he stays healthy, he will continue to be the best big man in the game. And it's all encompassing because it's a stage presence. Like this guy, even when he, what he does on the court is one thing. We just went through it, right? Like back to back, just monster stat line performances and wins, which is super important. But it's all encompassing because we haven't seen a personality like this since what that tool Dwight Howard tried to do when he was just doing a Shaq impersonation. But you know I what I mean? I was going like, to say Shaq. I was going to say we haven't seen a personality like this, especially for a big man, since Shaq. Exactly, right? Where he's so fun. The interviews are great. You know, his social media is amazing. And just think about the fact that you have a situation where Embiid was on Twitter just trolling Lonzo Ball, first off, telling your boy LeVar Ball, to F off, like <laughs> the stage presence to know that, hey, I'm in LA. These this is where stars are born. I'm gonna put on and and really just go ham. I'm turning up as long as and maybe I'm just hyped, maybe I'm caught up in the more in the moment, but like the Euro step. Why is this seven foot center doing a Euro step? Like it, the, it was the just a around pass that he had from the post. Yeah. Where he threw it around the guy's back to the three point line. I, I, they have one of the best passers in the game, I think, on their team already in Ben Simmons, mm-hmm. especially for a big man. I, Joel Embiid's been taking notes from his younger teammate, Ben Simmons, man. 
It's so scary. And I know we say this every single week, but I really, really hope he can stay healthy because it's just so entertaining to watch. And I saw this on Twitter earlier, and it was such a great point. Like, imagine the NBA, the Eastern Conference, okay? Mm -hmm. And you have the Celtics, the Sixers, the Knicks, the Wizards, like all of those big city markets all being good at the same time. Like, hey. I touched on this ahead of time beforehand where uh, before we, we started recording and just because uh, the Golden State Boston game is going on right now as we're taping this. And I, I mean this so much. If you just pretend Golden State isn't a thing and you pay attention to Golden State for the 10 games you need to, you know, when they play the Cavs, I guess yeah. when they play the Celtics, OKC, uh, the Rockets, whatever, the Spurs. If you just like other than those games, just forget about. Golden State Warriors being a thing. The NBA is amazing. The regular season is great. Everyone's so focused on, oh, well, Golden State's going to win, so who cares? You're uh, you're losing. Because if, if you didn't, if you watched that Joel Embiid performance the past two nights and that didn't get you hype, you have no soul. I don't know what to tell you. Just go uh, watch like the Phoenix Coyotes or Arizona Coyotes <laughs> or whatever they call themselves now. You're absolutely amazing. right. And this is something that we've been touching on a little bit already through the first four weeks of the season. Is over the last two years, well, last year and the beginning of this year, the regular season has been so good and so compelling that uh, this is why we get together every week to talk about it because there's st- we could do it daily. There's storylines every night, and like, sure, come around June, listen, the Golden State Warriors are built for playoff basketball, but man, there are some great stories going on right now. Now, before we move on from this. I got to bring up the part. I got to bring up. I got to qualify why I picked Porzingis as the best big man hey, over Embiid. That's allowed. That's allowed. You look at the 76ers team right now. They just they're or they're going to give the big money to Robert Covington, who looks like a real deal two way player. He can shoot. He's athletic, and he defends on the perimeter. Yo, Webby, I'll, I'll be honest for a sec. You are the one that put me on to Robert Co- Covington. I was unaware I've been of how his good praises he was. for a long time. He is legit, and I know that people might be like, "Really? Like you guys are boosting or whatever?" No, no, no. Take a second and go look up Covington's numbers. Like he is solid. A very He's got solid. The third player. most three pointers made this year. It's unbelievable, right? Like people, you wouldn't even think of that. Sorry, I interrupted you, but I just wanted to make that point because literally, you put me on to Robert Covington. Absolutely. So not only do they have Robert Covington, they're going to pay the big bucks to. Not only do they have the rookie of the year in Ben Simmons. Not only do they have a guy who finished second or third in the rookie of the year voting last year in Dario Saric. But they've got, you know, my boy, TJ McConnell. And they've got a lot of good crafty veterans like Amir Johnson. So what I'm saying is that, that the Sixers team, I think, is much better, much better than what the New York Knicks put out on the court. And the fact that the Knicks have won as many games as they have and Porzingis is blowing up like he is with the points per game, I think that he's just right now the best big man in the league with what he can do. It's interesting. I I, I like that argument. I like that argument, Webby. The the supporting cast helping Embiid. Embiid is putting in work, but he also has a supporting cast. That's fair. And it's crazy. this is what the process was all about, putting these players in the right situation, and it looks like they've done that. I was just going to say that. Like, how crazy is it that we've gone from the Sixers are tanking and they have absolutely nobody? They can't even field basically a D League roster to now saying, man, it's great that Embiid is there and he has a supporting cast. That is crazy. 
Forget about that. Think of all the moves that they made, like getting rid of Michael Carter Williams. Everybody said that was crazy. Crazy. Getting rid of Drew Holiday. Everybody said that was crazy. There, um, there's somebody else they got rid of. Oh, oh, KJ McDaniels. Everybody was going nuts when they like KJ McDaniels walk. Mm-hmm. But you know what? These are the right moves, and this team was put together the right way. And now you got Colangelo hopefully putting final touches on it. And man, every night I watch the Sixers team, and I think, oh my God, these guys are going to get in the playoffs. You know what, too? Shout out to Brian Colangelo. Like, we're here in Toronto, and Colangelo was a GM here uh, for a long time, president and general manager here for a long time. And uh, I don't even think we've fully mentioned on this podcast yet like our jobs like what we used to do and we obviously used to work for national sports network and i dealt with colangelo a lot we we did interviews with them and stuff and a great guy like a super nice guy and you know really gave toronto some legitimacy yeah in terms of an organized from an organizational standpoint you know and now to see him and i know he's not going to get the full credit for the process but him taking the next steps with this team now it's really happy to see it working out at least for the early season uh let's let's move on though Joel Embiid put on for LA so we'll stay or sorry Joel Embiid put on in LA so <laughs> put we'll, it on LA yes that's what I should have said right uh so let's stay in the city of angels for our next turn up or turn down again turn up meaning good turn down meaning bad Here's the next topic. Lonzo Ball is a bust. Webby, turn up Listen, or turn down? I got to turn down. Okay. I, I, I can't do this boom or bust. I can't do this Jason Tatum is the next coming at Grand Hill yet. I can't <laughs> do that Lonzo Ball is trash yet. We're, like I said, we're four weeks into the season. Now, did Ball have an absolute stinker against the Sixers? You bet he did. Is that going to happen to rookies? Of course it is. Especially these young guys who come out of university after one year. Okay, There's, the pressure on Lonzo is extreme. But I don't think he's a bust. I think that his passing ability, you, we, we've seen the rebounds, the scoring is a, the shot he's got to work on. But I don't think by any means is this kid a bust. So I'm going to agree with you, Webby. I'm also going to turn down on this statement. But uh, the reason why I'm turning down on this is because I don't think he's a bust because my expectations for Lonzo Ball were never that high to begin with. I always felt like he was going to be a solid NBA player. And so early season struggles, whatever, like he's not shooting well. He's shooting about, what, 31%. Obviously, it's going to be super under a microscope when he has such a glaring like one for nine in a huge matchup against Ben Simmons. Like that's not a good look at all. Obviously, his dad has put in a bigger spotlight on him, which, you know, I'm not going to sit here and and blame LeVar for that because I think that's kind of dumb. But Lonzo Ball is struggling. I don't think he'll be a bust because the Lakers are not a good team, right? Like, no, there's nothing there. They're a terrible team. Down the stretch, they're like feeding Robin Lopez or no, Brooke Lopez, wrong Lopez twin, but whatever. Same results. They're trash. Like, the Lakers are not a good team at all and Luke Walton is probably in over his head as an NBA head coach when he's not coaching Steph Curry, Draymond Green and uh Clay Thompson filling right. in for Steve Kerr, right? So it's just a tough situation, a very difficult situation. It just sounds crazy to say, but has there been a player that has come into the league with more expectations on their back than Lonzo Ball since LeBron? 
Pistons, right? Ah. And like, think about think about what LeBron came into the league with, right? And now the expectations for LeBron, at least we we were all feeling like, yeah, this guy could be legit. He could be one of the greats, whatever. Lonzo Ball, I don't think like the expectations never really matched up to what we thought the reality could be. Do you know what I mean? Like it was it was almost going to be impossible for him to live up to the expectations placed on him just because of all the hype, right? We were following every single moment, every summer league game, every everything he did. What shoe was he wearing? That was a major story. And so he was never going to live up to that. And so that's why it's so much it's so glaring that, you know, you you take a look at his stat line in the last two games, you're looking at what? 4 for 19 shooting from the floor? Like that's ugly. ugly ugly stat lines but again we have to remember he's a kid right first so year in the, the league thing. what 10 games in like yeah relax I'm, I'm not i'm not worried about him i'm not gonna call him a bust to me a bust is like you know someone who doesn't make it to their make it out of their rookie contract and they're out of the league you know what I mean? anthony, like, bennett. anthony bennett bust for sure as you mentioned anthony bennett that's so funny because i just heard a great story told by david griffin who's doing a an interview and kind of talking about uh, his time in Cleveland, and he discussed Anthony Bennett, and he said the biggest problem with Anthony Bennett at the time was he felt, and this is this is going to sound bad, but he said Anthony Bennett was always used to being the best player, right? right? So he's from Canada, and then he goes to high school, and you're the best player, and then you go to uh, UNLV, UNLV, and you're the best player, and whatever. But then now you get to the NBA, and it's tough. Like you gotta like work, put in work. You gotta put in work and and work so much harder. And he just wasn't there for that at all. And it sounds like huge shots at Anthony Bennett, but at the same time, like I mean, it's not like he's proven wrong. Like Anthony Bennett's got so many chances to yeah. succeed, and I think you know it was just an interesting take to hear someone who was obviously there to see it go down in Cleveland and see what happened at the time because the the reason they were talking about it was he felt really bad about uh the pick and taking anthony bennett because he said he was the one that went to go see him and wanted to take him but the actual other gm the gm at the time was hesitant and didn't want to take anthony bennett but then he was like no let's take him he was the one that went and scouted him and they took him and it was just a crazy story but anyways sorry when you mentioned anthony bennett that made me think of that but (laughs) the point is anthony bennett Bust. Lonzo Ball, still too early, not yeah. ready to go there yet. And and the thing with Lonzo is, too, I mean, I would say that half of this, I, I, more than half, I would say three-quarters to two-thirds of this hype around Lonzo Ball is based on the situation where he's in. An L.A. kid who went to UCLA who then got drafted by the Lakers. I think it's got way more to do with that than it does as Lonzo Ball, the basketball player. Whereas with LeBron James, that hype was around how great of an athlete this kid was and how great of a basketball player this kid is. That's a great with, point. With Lonzo, it's more about the situation, and it just fell into his lap the way that he wanted it to, and that hype followed him around, followed him around and he's going to have to live up to it. For sure. Totally true. And I'd like to take this t- opportunity to remind people because obviously it's going to happen. Lonzo does bad and people are going to blame his dad and all that crap. And I understand why you're going to do it and I get it, but I just like to remind you how dumb it sounds that you're basing how good of a parent LeVar Ball is based on the outcome of a basketball game. I'm just saying, take a second and think about that before people go on their rants about how terrible of a parent LeVar Ball is. I will say this, speaking of our Feed Me segment, uh, one of the best tweets that I saw last night as I was watching the 
Sixers just take it to the LA Lakers. Mm-hmm. Was a, one of the guys that I follow. I think uh, he's uh, you know involved in WIP, the sports radio station in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. He was saying, "How much would you pay?" a live feed of LeVar Ball watching this game right now. And is he watching it with LiAngelo? Yeah, well, yeah, on his way. Who's thanking Trump, right? Unbelievable. Right? It's so crazy. Like, think about LeVar Ball right now. He's got to be so worried about LaMelo. Like, what happened? Is LaMelo going to, like, fail out of his, like, homeschool? No, because, he, <laughs> no, because he's the baby child. It's Same so with LiAngelo. The thing that I just I read about LiAngelo is that he's the middle child. He's the he's the uh, Jan Brady of the Ball family. <laughs> the Jan Brady of the Ball family. Lonzo, like, Lonzo, Lonzo. We need to take that quote and just that's amazing. There it is. <laughs> Our next turn up or turn down again. Turn up equals good. Turn down equals bad. We're staying in LA. The topic is. Doc Rivers is done in L.A. Turn up or turn down. We bring this up because currently, as we speak, the Clippers have lost six in a row heading into a game against the Cavs on Friday night, depending on whenever you're listening to this. But at the point of when we're taping this, the Clippers have lost six in a row. Is Doc's time up in Is that game in Cleveland or in L.A.? Uh, It's in Cleveland, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Yeah, I'm turning up. Doc is done. Doc has been done for a couple of years now. They need they need some fresh blood uh, on the sideline there in the Clippers. They have to get rid of Doc. Totally agree. And it's turn up. Doc's time is done. I think they need to get rid of him just because it should have happened already. You're totally right. I don't yeah, understand but- how you let Chris Paul leave before you get rid of Doc Rivers and blow up your team. Because clearly there were just too much... There's there's too much smoke, right? And you know the saying, when the, where there's smoke, there's fire. There's too much smoke around the whole Doc Rivers didn't want to trade Austin. Secondly, yeah. he re-signed Austin to a big-time deal, which really made no sense because no one thinks Austin Rivers is that good, except Doc Rivers. But with those rumors surrounding Chris Paul and how Chris Paul was upset that apparently there was a mellow trade on the table last year or the year before, and Doc wouldn't give up Austin Rivers, like, it's just... The moves that Doc, the GM, made ended up screwing Doc, the coach, right? Yeah. Like he just came, kept on bringing through like Celtics rethreads. He brought in an old Paul Pierce. He brought in a big baby Davis. Like, like it was just, it just made no sense. And it's been so many years over. And then now you lose Chris Paul. You're losing basically the identity of your team and you're putting it all on Blake Griffin. But is Blake Griffin really that guy? Well, okay, I, mean? I, I had this tough. conversation the other day. It's I don't tough. want to get too into this Blake but, Griffin But I think Doc's got to go, now. right? Doc's got to go. But here's the thing. We're putting this too much on Doc. I mean, well, I, I hate to put it like this, but Doc Rivers is going to Doc Rivers, okay? <laughs> this is who he's been. Okay. This this situation, this turn up, turn down, this isn't on Doc Rivers, man. This oh. is on Steve Ballmer. Oh, Okay. Okay. And if Steve Ballmer had any nuts as an owner, Doc Rivers would have been out three years ago. But what happened is that I, I here's what I don't understand is how the Steve Ballmer got so many millions of dollars because <laughs> the way that he's run the Clippers is horrendous. First of all, as soon as he bought the team, let's be honest, I think that he overpaid for the Clippers to 
seeing where the Clippers were with the whole Donald Sterling situation. Yeah. I think that he could have bought the team for a lot cheaper than he did. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he stepped in and bought the Clippers franchise, Doc Rivers had him over a barrel to make himself GM and head coach. And Bomber still, what are we, four years in now to him owning this team? He still hasn't figured out a way to replace this head coach and bring in somebody who knows the changing landscape of basketball. So, yes, is it Doc Rivers' time? 100%. I turn up on that. Is it Doc Rivers' fault? No. It's the owner's fault. Interesting. Uh, The one part we should mention, too, is it was a weird time, right, when Steve Ballmer first came in. Because remember, everyone was singing the praises of Doc Rivers through the whole Donald Sterling thing because he really was the pseudo, like, Head person and in charge and he, in he that did transition. a great job, but that is separate from coaching a basketball team or running one. Totally right. And I think that uh, we're seeing in the NBA how difficult it is to be the GM and head coach. And it's almost like Doc should have yeah. chosen one. You know what I mean? Somewhere along the way. And obviously, normally, when you're ch- if you're choosing one, you're going to choose the front office job, right? But he, he never really did that. He let this sort of linger for long enough and never really pulled off the big time deal to take the team to the next level. That's why I'm going to blame Doc in this situation, right? Because he could have traded Blake Griffin. Or remember, someone brought up this great point. You had a guy like Joel Embiid go at DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan is a guy who just a couple of years ago was like the biggest catch in free agency. Remember? Yeah, and they and made all that they made all that noise to make make sure that he didn't sign with Dallas. Exactly. Remember, it, they, it would have been smarter to just to let him walk. Right. Remember, they like barricaded him in his house, and they had the chair like locking him in, and they had that meeting and the whole emoji thing and all oh, that for yeah. DeAndre Jordan, a guy who who and I know it's Joel. I just boosted Joel Embiid and saying how great he is, but like DeAndre Jordan's supposed to be if the one thing he's supposed to be able to do. It's supposed to be play defense, lockdown defense, and rebound. And Joel Embiid fouled him out, and he finished with two points. That cannot happen to a guy that I'm paying big-time money. And so Doc the GM, that's really why I'm more focused in on saying Doc is done. I, I, I think Doc has to shield a lot of the blame. And again, the Austin Rivers thing, Doc's time is up, and I'm blaming Doc. Ballmer... Uh, they brought in Jerry West, right? Jerry West is either like an advisor. He has some front office role with the team this year, right? So it kind of seems like the wheels are kind of in motion to have some type of plan in case this keeps going and he does have to get rid of Doc. But yeah, it's overall not a good time for Doc in LA. I think this is a a failure and, you know, begs a question. How much was Doc's success Doc? And how much of it was KG, Ray Ray, Paul Peasy. I'm just, hey, hey, I don't know. Maybe that's a longer conversation for another day, but just. It takes takes a certain kind of head coach to be able to handle guys like Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and Rondo, and Big Baby. I will give you that, Webby. That is totally true. Totally true. Speaking of a coach that is doing the right thing and handling his team very well, that brings us nicely to. Dwayne Casey and the Toronto Raptors will jump in, we'll jump right to our wrap it up segment where we discuss the Toronto Raptors in the week that was and what's going on with them. And the biggest news for sure, the Raptors back to back wins in tough places in Houston and in New Orleans. So we talked a lot about, you know, our, our thoughts of what the Raptors season would be, uh, where we see the finishing. We've, we've talked a lot about that. And so we we're kind of down early on. So the question here. Early on is, 
How much of your opinion is of the Raptors overall is swayed by their back-to-back wins this week, Webby? Not much. Well, I mean, we knew uh, the, the Raptors are who we thought they were. They're the top three team in the Eastern Conference. They're very good. And the, uh, I was way more impressed with the win against the Rockets than I was against the kind of shorthanded Pelicans who were easing Rondo back in. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that said, a couple weeks ago, we were, uh, I think maybe even last week, we were wondering what was going on with the weird rotation that Dwayne Casey was using, was using all these different players and just having this weird fluid lineup. But you know what? Seems like, hey, it's an, it's a next man up kind of thing. We saw Norm Powell go down with the hip pointer, mm-hmm. and because these he because Dwayne Casey's been giving all these young guys a lot of run, looked like OG was ready to step into that starting role and really not miss a beat. I know his numbers weren't that good, but if you were watching those games, you could see OG really knew what he was doing, and it wasn't a surprise to him or his teammates what he was on the floor to do. Yeah, the biggest thing with OG when I watch him is he doesn't look scared at all. And that's a a key thing, especially for a rookie to just like feel like you belong. You know, sometimes you can look at someone and tell that they're kind of nervous or they're kind of hesitant. He doesn't really have that in his game at all. And your first start in the NBA comes against James Harden. You're guarding Harden. You know, like it's a very tough position to be in and he didn't back down at all. I mean, Harden still had a great game, of course, but you know, OG makes a lot of plays that sometimes don't really show up in the stat sheet. I know he put up 16 against the Rockets, and his second night of the back-to-back wasn't nearly as good stat sheet-wise. But he is yeah. making impactful plays, whether it's getting key rebounds, whether it's you know playing solid lockdown defense. I mean, I got to ask a question. Should he stay in the starting lineup even when Norm Powell comes back? Uh, I think maybe for the first couple of games when Norm's healthy, but... Uh, this team is built on having Norm in that starting lineup. And I think that the experience of putting OG up with the starters for a couple of games is going to pay off more down the road. And I think moving him back to the bench is a good move for any rookie. Yeah, I mean, the Toronto Raptors, too, it's great because we were talking about the ball movement a lot and you know Kyle Lowry leading this new offense. So far, I think it's been going pretty well just because the the last few games – He's still putting up his numbers. DeRozan's still getting his numbers. But I think the thing that maybe Lowry will figure out or, or realize as the season goes along and they continue with this like fluid ball movement offense is it's way better for him too because he'll be able to get easier baskets, right? Like He'll be able to get those spot-up jumpers in the corner because the ball movement is so good because there's other people, whether it's Van Fleet or DeLon Wright when he gets back healthy, or OG driving and kicking it out to a wide-open Kyle Lowry. The pressure is not on him to create every single player, like drive in for those hard-end ones and taking the beating that he normally would on a regular in a regular basis where he has to create every play. It's interesting to see just how that offense looked. And I know the Houston game, you're not going to have like, they're not going to shoot like that all the time. Yeah, every but, game. But it, it was just a positive sign, right? And especially to see a guy like C.J. Miles, who has been up and down so far. Well, but, yeah, who looked like he was left for dead the last couple of weeks. Right? Like, it was good to see him kind of get off and, and, and get get some shots up, knock down some big threes, and shoot some threes with confidence. Like, that's the biggest thing, I think, with three-point shooters, right? Where you see them take the, for lack of a better term, the J.R. Smith three, where you're like, oh, no, yeah. no, no, but it goes in. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's when, when you see a three-point shooter knock down those threes, but even like have the confidence to take those threes is such a better, it's, it's, it's a welcome sign for CJ Miles because the Raptors need him, especially to lead that second unit as a vet, right? I hate to bring it back to the Sixers, but it's like J.J. Redick too. Mm-hmm. And this is what I was telling a buddy. It's like every once in a while I'll see J.J. Redick just hoist up a three with like 20 seconds left to go on the shot clock. And I'm like, oh, my God. But then I think, listen, shoot or shoot, man. And that's what they're going to do. And if they want to be successful in the NBA, you're going to have to live through the ups and the the downs. But if they're a true shooter, somebody who can get you that three-point shot, you got to live with those. Uh, Totally agree. Totally agree. Last thing here with the Raptors. Obviously, we're waiting word for sure on DeLon Wright. He left the last game. Oh, that looked nasty, man. uh, Oh, yeah. He's out for sure for the next game against uh, the Knicks, depending on whenever you're listening to this. Uh, How much will losing DeLon Wright, if he is out for a long time, which it does, I mean, it looks like he'll be out for a while. How much will that affect them, do you think, going forward? Hey, again, I mean, I hate to beat a dead horse, but I guess this is why Casey and the team was running these 12-man units. Mm-hmm. Is because if you do run into an injury problem, it, I don't think it's going to be that big of a drop-off to bring in a Fred Van Vliet off the bench yep. to spell DeLon Wright's minutes. He's been seeing the court. He's been getting a little bit of run, so it's not going to be a surprise to him of what he sees. And it's not going to be a surprise to his teammates that he plays with if his minutes start to pick up. Yes, shout out to Coach Casey. Big up to Coach Casey. I, I think we were wrong. I mean, uh, we were both of us were questioning this strategy, mm-hmm. and I think that it was maybe like a really good piece of foresight by Casey and the Raps to kind of see this team and say, well, listen, if we get into injury trouble, we could be in some serious, could see some serious problems. So let's get these guys as much run as we can with them together, see what clicks, see what doesn't. So if the worst does happen, we're not grasping at straws yeah credit where credit's due and i was definitely questioning maybe not so much the style of play but more so how the style of play would work with this personnel and i mean i'm not swayed like huge it's not like i think the raptors you know are eastern conference finals for sure like i'm not swayed that much because like you said i think they are what they are and i'm just as much as i i'm not gonna you know think that oh because they lost to the Celtics without Kyrie. It's not like I think that drops them to eighth. You know what I mean? I'm not going to say them beating the Rockets puts them at the top of the conference. I think they are what they are in that like three, four, five range of the Eastern Conference. And so I would take two, three, four, man. I really would. They're a really talented team and they, I I think they're well coached, man. I'm not sure. I don't know with Dwayne Casey. Is he a good coach? Well, here's the thing, right? I had this conversation with McAuliffe after one of our shows earlier this week. And I was saying like, one of the weirdest things about this whole era of Raptors basketball is Dwayne Casey is obviously the numbers will show he's the best coach in franchise history, but I don't know if he gets enough credit in terms of where Kyle and Damar are at and where this team is, right? Like the reason why the Raptors are this good, because remember how the pieces came back after the Rudy Gay trade, right? This team, it's always been about the sum of the parts, and he stayed on them consistently about playing defense, even nagging them about playing defense, right? And that's really what made this team what it is into having the best run in franchise history. That's directly from Coach Casey preaching his work ethic, the pound the rock or whatever the mantra was, you know, like staying on them when they had those little lulls within the season, as annoyed as Kyle might be. 
that helped Kyle Lowry become the three-time All-Star. You know, like the the success of the Raptors helped Kyle Lowry like achieve his goal of becoming the perennial All-Star in the NBA. You know, and not I, I don't only know that, if- but he he took Demar Derozan, who was a really good one-dimensional player, mm-hmm. to a excellent two-dimensional player. Two-dimensional player. Okay. Okay. I I would say that Derozan, like, listen, man, uh, you watch the NBA, man. For a guy who can score that easily is DeRozan can. I think he is a very good defender. Oh, okay. Okay. I'll, I'll give you that. And, I, and, and you know what? I credit Casey with that. Just like you say, getting in his ear. Yeah, Casey, I, I don't think Casey gets enough credit just for like what he's turned this team into. Is he like, everyone gets mad at like the play calling and the offense and all that. Like I will go to my grave saying that in the NBA, coaches call plays all the time and players just bust the plays. Right. Like players are just going to do what they're going to do. Right. So it's not like he's calling ISO every single time down the floor in the fourth quarter. That's just what Lowry and DeRozan are doing. Right. Yeah. And you know what? That's what works, too. Hey, it is. It's an it's an interesting balance. Right. It's a very interesting balance. Uh, But a good week for the Raptors. Uh, By the time you're listening to this, who knows what they're going to do against the Knicks. But that's definitely a game I'm looking forward to sticking with said New York Knicks. Brings us to our Feed Me segment, which is the best things to come across our social media feeds. Why does it always have to do with LeBron James, these Feed Me segments? LeBron James is so good. He's the greatest troll. And that's a thing where, you know, why the NBA is the greatest sport there is. Even when you remove the things that don't have to do with the actual game, it's so entertaining. There's so much going on. And, And for this Feed Me segment, okay... We're going to do something different. We're going to start at the end and work our way backwards. So LeBron posts a picture, and it's a great photo. It's a stylish photo, you know. It's from a distance, and it's him at center court at MSG with the caption, you're welcome, emoji of a crown, to, to exemplify King of New York, hashtag my favorite playground, hashtag strive for greatness. Now, say what you will. This was following LeBron putting up 23 and 12, leading the Cavs back to a, a great comeback performance against the, the, the Knicks. It was a great performance. He hit the clinching three. And he beefed with Frankie Smokes, Mr. Nicolina, and uh, Enos Cantor. He, he's, he trolled the Knicks saying that they should have taken Dennis Smith Jr. while still taking shots at Phil and taking more shots at Enos Cantor. He also even <laughs> took the subway train in New York while he was there. What didn't LeBron do, right? But I want to ask you, Webby, simply for this Feed Me segment, what was your, what, to you, what was the best part of LeBron's week in NYC? Mm, it was the response to Cantor. <laughs> uh, just because Cantor, like, first of all, bro, you got dummied. Uh, you, 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 you tried to stay, you know, like, like I say, uh, if you come with the King, that's not miss. Shut sorry, can sorry, Cantor, but not only did you miss, but you tried to double down on it by bringing up the queen and the princess. And then the response by LeBron was, at, was it was so, it, it's like this guy went to school for dealing with social media because his response not only was it witty and funny, but it was totally clean. It was like he had thought about it for a week before coming <laughs> up with it. It was great. It was great. So I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. The worst feed me part of this whole saga was was our boy uh, Pete Vesey, the, 
Yes. Uh, the New York, the New York uh, sports writer. Oh man, that was the, that he the dropping the uh, the end bomb on Twitter was was probably the worst. I yeah. Would say. So so basically, for those who are unaware of who Peter Vesey is, Peter Vesey was basically the Woj of the 1990s in yeah, terms of yeah. the fact that he broke every single NBA story in the in the Jordan era, the the Knicks, the height. Knicks era of the new of the 1990s. Peter Vesey was that dude. He was like the A1 reporter in NBA circles. And now I'm not even sure where he works now or what he does now per se. But I he's think still, he still writes, to be honest. I think so, but he's not. He's definitely not at any of no, the major major outlets. He's not really breaking stories anymore. But in the middle of this game, when uh, the Knicks were. Oh, sorry. Do you know what it was? It was right after the whole... It was right after the Cantor-Nicolina thing. Yes. So so during the game now, LeBron gets a dunk. The ball bounces. Frankie goes to pick up the ball. and LeBron just sort of just stands there. And the funniest part about it is Frankie tries to push LeBron, but LeBron is so (laughs) D's and he doesn't even budge. He doesn't move him. (laughs) Right. So LeBron doesn't, he doesn't even move. And so here comes your boy, Enos Cantor, to to get in LeBron's grill. LeBron pushes him away. The whole internet's going crazy because obviously, like, oh my God, I can't believe LeBron. I can't believe Cantor and LeBron, after all the trash talk back and forth in the media, they're almost going to fight. And by fight, we mean. NBA fight, obviously. Yeah. Right? You mean uh, what, studio gangsters? Studio gangsters, yes. And you get whatever uh, your boy Enos Cantor is whispering in LeBron's face. And that leads Peter Vesey to, to go on Twitter and decide that he's going to quote a Biggie lyric that includes an N-bomb <laughs> and led to like some of the greatest Twitter reactions <laughs> like people were counting how many asterisks he used in the end. Was that Bumani Jones? Was like, yo, he didn't even use the right amount of asterisks. <laughs> right? Like, there's just so much going on. The NBA is just amazing, right? Like, there's just so much going on every night. And LeBron, again, caps this all off by calling himself the king of New York, which is just like an epic troll job. And you're right about Cantor. Because I, I tweeted it that night, right? Like, Cantor, just take the L. Right, because he yeah, don't are, come back. Well, he's talking about you know you're not gonna punk us. We're not gonna let you punk us. It's like, dude, you, you blew like punk. well, yeah, you blew like a twenty some odd point lead, right? Dude, yeah, they scored forty eight. No, 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 what did they score in the in the fourth quarter? Like thirty eight points. Hold on, I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, they scored forty three points. Forty three points quarter. in the fourth quarter. They came back from twenty plus down, but. To me, the biggest thing that I thought was just amazing was a game-clinching shot that LeBron hit over Christoph Porzingis. Because here's the thing, right? We talk about the NBA and the star players and the Giannis's and the Kristaps and the Embiid's and all that, right? The thing to me that separates when you're talking about the top-tier players are is the fact that LeBron James, that game was close. And come fourth quarter... LeBron, you know LeBron's going to take over at the offensive end. But on the defensive end, he locked down Kristaps Porzingis. Oh. And that really changed the game, right? Well, you know what, though? They, it, it was like Jeff Hornacek in that situation forgot how to coach. Because <laughs> I know that I call Kristaps Porzingis the best big man in the league right now. And I continue to call him that because I think if it was Hassan Whiteside, Andre Drummond, Joel Embiid, or Chris Stapps, and you throw him one-on-one in the block against LeBron James, 
he doesn't have a chance. Yeah. LeBron, but that's what I'm saying, right? Like, that's why LeBron is still LeBron. When we're arguing about who's the best player in the game, the best player in the game is still LeBron James. Let's not get it twisted, right? It's just the regular season's a regular season for him, right? And he proved that because, again, this was a moment for me in LeBron's little uh, three-day escapade in New York. It's a tie game. They're tied at 101, and LeBron is being guarded by Kristaps, and he's standing on the left wing, three-point line, and he's just dribbling dribbling staring in Kristaps' face he's measuring him up what broadcast did you watch see i'm glad you brought this up i was watching it on the Cavs broadcast and then later on on twitter well that's what i was gonna say later on twitter i listened to it on the knicks broadcast and i think what you're gonna bring up is our guy walt clyde frazier who called it oh he's gonna shoot the three he's gonna shoot the three and we're all thinking it and i was kind of like no lebron don't shoot the three that's such an ignorant thing to do and he just stared Kristaps down and hit the step back three right in his face and then it looked but like it he ice grilled it wasn't like it wasn't like clyde was like oh he's gonna he kept saying it <laughs> like because lebron's letting the clock wind down and clyde is almost imploring Chris Stapps in the Knicks. He's like, listen, he's going to shoot the ball from there. This is where he loves the shot. He's made this shot a hundred times. Get out there on him. Don't let him do this. And then right in Chris Stapps' eye. And it looked like it was Chris Rock sitting courtside that LeBron like, just oh, ice grilled after. a lot of celebs. A lot of celebs. Oh, the stars were out for that game because they know LeBron's going to put on a show. Like, it was just an amazing spectacle. And one of those things where, you know, the hype leading up to the game, the trash talk back and forth with LeBron and Cantor and, and uh, the whole Dennis Smith Jr. thing, like, it was so amazing, but it was so great that the game actually lived up to the hype. Right. Yeah. And it's it was so, so good and a great spectacle for the NBA at MSG. One of the biggest stages there is in the game. Well, no, the biggest stage there is in the game. Right. Madison Square Garden. It was oh, yeah. so 100%. good. The NBA. No, is the the, it was the second best. The Chris Rock stare down was the second best celebrity interaction in the NBA this week. Uh, at number two to TJ McConnell high five and Kevin Hart <laughs> last night against the Lakers. Did you see that? You know, it's so funny. So I had the vol, so I had the volume down for some of the game, right? Because a lot of times I'll be listening to whatever podcasts while I'm watch while I got a game up on the TV, right? Yeah. And my head was down. I was looking at my computer and I looked up and I was like. Was that just McConnell high fiving Kevin? Hart? Like, did that just happen? And I like for a while on the TV, I'm like, this is a this is amazing. It's so good. It's so good. There's something going on in the NBA every night. It's so much fun that you have these other stars and entertainers in their own right that are just mesmerized by the game as well. Right? Like it well, and, so cool. and right and right now, Boston has it down to one in the third against the Warriors. Yeah. Right? Like it, as we keep saying, right? So much going on in the NBA every single night. That's why we made this podcast. That's why we love talking about the NBA each and every week. There's always so much to talk about. And again, yeah, LeBron, he came, he saw, he conquered MSG again, which brings up like he always, he has a sense for the stage, right? Oh, yeah. Like, why doesn't LeBron just go to the Knicks? Like, wouldn't that be cool oh, to play on but, that stage? But again, it's like what I was talking about with Chris Ash, man. That team is so poorly put together. Yeah, it's true. That, it's true. that LeBron, even LeBron, like... <laughs> Yo, like, at what point I was like... LeBron and Chris Stapps together, sure they win the East, but 
That team sucks, man. Yo, do you know what was amazing, Webby? I'm watching the game, and I'm watching the start of the game, and I'm thinking, yeah, I do think the Knicks will be a playoff team, but, yo, Jarrett Jack is still in the league and getting serious minutes? Like, what? What is what happening? Is and your, your man's, your oh. man's uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., is not oh, shy. Oh, the 70, $72 million man. Oh, he is not shy, right? Like, he is. <laughs> He's not. Oh, man. So many things in that game were so good. D Wade with the clinching rebound. That one oh. uh, image that was going around all over the place of people not believing that J.R. Smith turned down <laughs> a, a three pointer over two defenders. So he, he made the right basketball play and hit D Wade wide open under the net. Like, that was a great internet meme as well. Like, oh, it was. There's so much. And then you had post-game, Isaiah Thomas took to Instagram to continue this Arthur meme thing, <laughs> showing Arthur skipping down the street. And it just said again, of course, hashtag mood, right? That's, that's our feed me segment right there. Like we can count on the calves every week to take care of our feed me segment. Is that, is that what's going on? I'm kind of done with this Arthur thing, but it was kind of oh, funny. The Celtics killed it. The Celtics it killed the Arthur meme. What was the Celtics thing? What did they do? They it was like they animated the Arthur meme to make oh. a like a Celtics fan. Yes, yes, yes. They said, "Oh, oh, so oh bad. yeah." They they voiced it over and made Arthur say that he's a Celtics fan because like the illustrator of the cartoon is from Boston or something like that, and said like that was actual facts. It's like, wait a second, you guys are trying to add legitimacy <laughs> to this thing no. that is completely ridiculous. Like you're trying to exactly. hit us with actual facts about where the the cartoonist is from. Like we don't care about that. This is stupid, right? <laughs> like this is not real life. This is this is just dumb. But yeah, NBA never disappointing. It's so fantastic. Uh, we move on to our final segment of the show where, uh, as always hit us up, either hit us up, uh, on Twitter and ask on blast this week. We got Sammy who hits us up and says, Hey, I know you guys are both music guys. And so I wanted to know if you've heard of the podcast called dissect. Webby, Ooh, have I have heard not. So I actually, I chose this question. There were a bunch we had to choose from, but I chose this question because I have heard of this podcast and I know that you are a music fan. So I would like to sell you on this podcast because it is amazing. Basically the elevator pitch, I'll say it, it's like the serial podcast, but it's about Ooh. music. So what my guy Ooh. does that does it is he'll take an album. And so there's been two seasons. The first season was Kendrick Lamar's To Pimp a Butterfly. And the okay. second season is Kanye West's My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. And so Whoa. someone put me on it. Uh, Timmy Haggs put me on the podcast, right? And he was shout like, out to Timmy Haggs. Shout out to Timmy Haggs. And uh, he was like, Shelly, I know you love Kanye. You got to check this out. Webby, let me tell you, it is amazing. It's very like music nerd, but if you like if you enjoy music, like you really have an appreciation for music, you will enjoy this podcast. Again, it's like serial. And so the way that the Kanye West one works was uh, there's the first three episodes, right? The first one is about like Kanye's early life where they they do a deep dive into like, you know, his upbringing, how he got into music, you know, okay. talks about his parents, uh, how he first got into the game, his first big break and all that, right? Episode two centers around uh, Through the Wire. 
and how okay. like why he made that song. It really starts to get into like sampling and the art of sampling and explaining what sample is, sampling is, and how much of a big part of Kanye's career it is. And they tell like great behind like inside stories, great stories about like Kanye breaking through and breaking into the Rockefeller camp and how that exactly all went down. Great explanations, great like sound bites and they'll play interviews from Kanye and you know deep dive into what was going on with the whole George Bush doesn't care about black people thing or what was really going on with Kanye and the Taylor Swift thing and then uh the third episode recaps his first three albums and like those hits and you know kind of like sets the scene in hip-hop at the time and then after that it's all about my beautiful dark twisted fantasy and how It'll take each episode breaks down a song off the album. It'll go through the lyrics and dissect the lyrics and it'll break down the beat and play you the samples where the samples came from. And it'll break down like the lyrics and give you like insight into what he could have been talking about at the time. It's really, really dope. Like I can't sell this enough. I was sold like Timmy Higgs was selling me on. He's like, I think you'll like it, but let me know when you listen to it. Oh, I was I was hooked. I listened to like the first five episodes. There, each episode is about a half hour long, so it's not okay. too long. But it's like such a great listen. Highly recommended. And so I was glad that we had a bunch of these questions. And when I saw that one, I was like, all right, this is the one I'm going to ask Webby if he's heard of it. And if not, I'm going to try to sell him on it. It's I'm called in. Dissect. Okay. Check it out. Two questions, so, though. Yep. First, do we know what the next uh, season is going to be about? No. I mean, maybe he says it at the end of this season. I'm not sure. So uh, to to my knowledge, I don't know what the third season will be about, no. And two, if you could do a subject for an album and an artist that they would use this show for, what would you pick? Well, that's not really fair, because obviously I'm going to say Jay-Z. Anyone that knows ah! me knows it's going to be a Jay album. Yeah, but which album? Of course. Uh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I don't know. I don't know. That's a tough one. Maybe the Black Album. Just because I feel like that's definitely uh, the the like the center point of his career, you know what I mean? Like people kind of divide it, divide his career into pre-black album and post-black album, you know what I mean? But that was supposed to be the retirement, so it'd be kind of cool to, or maybe not the black album. Maybe it's a blueprint because the oh, black album the, we had the the doc fade to black, yeah, of course, which gave us a I lot of insight. Say- into all that. I'm going to say even Kingdom Come. Hmm, interesting. Because of the long layoff. Well, depending on how uh, inside he'd take us, 444 might be a cool one, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. So, I don't know. Like, for you, what what would you choose? What album would you choose? Oh, no question about it. It would be Mad Villain. Ah, I like it. With Mad Lib and MF Doom. Yo, you're quick on that. You didn't even, like, take a beat. Oh, bro, I... Because not only would you get the great MF Doom story, but also the Mad Lib story, how they came together and how that album was made. I think it would be awesome. That is dope. I like that. I like that. So in case uh, the people behind the Dissect podcast are Dissect listening. is listening to the All Blast podcast. <laughs> there, we got some suggestions for you. And yeah, as, as much as we like to shine light on other podcasts, hope you enjoyed our podcast, which was episode five of the ball on blast podcast as always you know where you can find us on soundcloud or just follow our twitter feeds and we'll send you we'll send the links out to you um as always unpolished and unapologetic i am mr sheldon alexander you can find me on twitter at 
Shell Alexander. I am Andrew Webster, and you can find me on all social media at awebster84. And this has been Ball on Blast. Until next time, see ya. Peace. Ball on Blast.